please, whatever we brought in today, whatever was on our mind about the week, whatever's like nagging anxious thoughts in our head, can you just help us clear those out of our head, Lord, and just prepare our hearts to hear this message. Thank you very much, Jesus' name, amen. So um, the message this week is um, quite heavy. Uh, it's been a pretty heavy message for me just writing it. Uh, we're continuing, you can bring those slides up, we're, ten, we're continuing in this series on the Gospel of Mark. We've entitled it Mark the Evangelist. You know, I made this little spoof Twitter account to follow what Mark's saying because the Gospel of Mark really does read like a Twitter feed. It's pretty amazing. The more I think about it and the more I studied it, it really is like he had a Twitter account. Um, this week, the message is called number four in the series, Life in the Kingdom. So a personal question for you. How willing are you really to be a citizen in the kingdom of God? Just how much are you willing to give up to be in this thing we call the kingdom of God? And, you know, the kingdom of God is a very familiar phrase to most Christians, at least people who claim to be Christians. And it's a central theological teaching of Christ himself all through the Gospels. And it's a powerful concept, really that has inspired many literary, musical, and artistic masterpieces throughout the life of the church. But what does it really mean? Can you define it? Do you believe it's true? How would you describe it? Is it some sort of ethereal concept? Or is it a physical one? Are there any concrete manifestations that you can point to of the kingdom of God, this thing we're supposed to serve, this thing we're supposed to be a part of, this thing we're supposed to be so committed to? Is this concept of the kingdom of God even relevant for the church today? Or to modern life in general? Maybe it's just outdated. Is it something that we're waiting for to come? Like we're anticipating it? Or is it already here? And if it's here, how should it be affecting us? Should we be doing things differently if we live in the reality that the kingdom of God is now? So my hope today is each one of us will be very uncomfortable and immediately challenged to some very inconvenient introspection. So let's read the passage from Mark chapter 1, verse 14 to 20. Apparently, this was like two Twitter feeds, you know, like two Twitter posts in, in one. You know how you do that sometimes? You go over 140 characters. That's what this was, six verses. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will, make you, I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father in the boat with hired servants and followed him. <clears throat> so Mark does skip quite a bit between the wilderness and the baptism, and all that stuff. And then he goes to Galilee. 
Because this purpose of the Gospel of Mark is not to be a step-by-step historical record. No, his purpose is focused on the role of Jesus as the authority and the head of this new kingdom that he's been talking about. The whole point of chapter 1 is to establish the fact that he has been coronated, he has been given the authority of God to establish this kingdom. So, just because he skips a lot of stuff chronologically doesn't doesn't really mean anything. It just simply means... He is being true to the purpose of this gospel, which is to establish and declare the authority of the Son of God. So like we do at Grace Life, you look at each passage under three applications. First one is the history. What about man? What does he do and why and how does he do it? I want to talk about why is he in Galilee? I mean, what's the point of Galilee? Shouldn't he be in Jerusalem where all the political leaders are and the religious elite are? If he really wants to impact society, he needs to move to Washington. I mean, Galilee. I want you to see Galilee, there's a picture of modern-day Galilee, and it's pretty much kind of like what it was then without the cars. And it's a beautiful place. I've been there. It's breathtaking. And the Sea of Galilee is a 13-mile-long, 8-mile-across freshwater lake surrounded by 1,500-foot mountains. The Jordan River feeds it from the north, and the topography is lush with trees and fields and and very fertile soil. It's a place where you can grow just about anything. And as a matter of fact, this area of Galilee was a very important part of the region. We learn later on that Jesus performs many miracles here, such as calming the stormy sea and walking on the water and the feeding of the 5,000. And Jesus is there preaching along the shores and he calls James, John, Peter, and Andrew to be his disciples, to be fishers of men. But it's important to understand that Galilee was a very important region providing a large portion of, for the first thing, protein. It was the main source of protein for the whole region. And it was the main place of agriculture for this area. Matter of fact, the religious elite and the political powerful in Jerusalem cannot survive without Galilee. This wasn't the home of the religious elite. It enjoyed some because of its power as a a region of commerce when it came to food and things like that. For some reason, it had some sort of political autonomy within the Roman Empire. They had their own little governor, and he was kind of given a little bit of freedom to do what he needed to do to make sure things went smoothly. It's a region of commerce, hard work, blue-collar people, that were the backbone of the region. Galilee is the highest and coolest place in Israel. A lot of Israel can be like a desert. It's hot. It's well watered, unlike a lot of the places in Israel. And the Sea of Galilee is well stocked with lots of really cool looking fish. So it's very important. But also it has for Jesus some benefits of home. You know, after baptism... You know, that was a pretty public scene in the wilderness. Then he goes further in the wilderness to fight the enemy, Satan, with the 40 days of temptation. There's the arrest of John the Baptist, his cousin, who he loves and cares for. All that takes place in a very harsh place of desolation. So understandably, after all that emotion and all that stuff, Jesus goes back to a very familiar area. A place where he grew up. An area that he has a network of people that he knows. And he begins his kingdom message in his hometown 
Not where most rabbis would begin their ministry in Jerusalem. Then we see something fascinating. He goes to a place where the men of success would be along the shores of this freshwater lake. He's taking advantage of a place he knows well. And he starts to build this incredible ministry team whose impact is reverberating even still today. And it's important to understand that they were successful men. These first disciples were not theological or military or political experts from Jerusalem. They were fishermen in an industry that was crucial to the region. They were not paupers. A lot of people think, you know, they were just trying to try to catch a bluegill or two to get through the day. That's not what was going on here. They were catching fish for a lot of people. They weren't barely surviving, barely eking out a living. They had lucrative businesses, and we see from the passage today, they had employees and customers. So James, John, Andrew, and Simon Peter have deep roots in this community. So that's the history. Now let's talk about the spiritual. What's the next what about God? What does he do and why and how does he do it? I want to talk about this kingdom calling. As we've discussed many times before, most Jews thought that the kingdom of God meant a restoration of the kingdom of David and Solomon, the reinstatement of Israel as a nation, free from the tyranny and the occupation of Rome. So Mark's account would be particularly offensive and controversial, as was the message of John the Baptist and Jesus. The idea the kingdom of God is now. It has nothing to do with Rome. So with that in mind, I think it's important to understand, I kind of did these little tweets this week, or not, no, I didn't do them, Mark did them, sorry. And the first one, he says, after the wilderness, I lost contact with Jesus for a few weeks, but I caught up to him in Galilee. The guy moves fast. He's preaching about the kingdom of God starting now. Many think he's talking about defeating the Romans, but I'm not sure that's what he means. In Galilee today, Jesus walks up to four successful fishermen. He says, hey, I'll make you fishers of men if, if you follow me immediately. Without hesitation, they drop their nets and leave with Jesus. Not sure I have the kind of dedication to this new kingdom that Jesus is talking about. So when Jesus called them into kingdom service, they left their nets, probably as their nets are sinking to the bottom. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they forsake all their earthly comfort and their earthly success and what they know best, and they leave it immediately. They abandon what seems to be secure for an unknown earthly future. And what about this calling? What was it about Jesus that caused them to make this decision that enabled them to have this action? I think it's important to understand why this was so interesting. First of all, the call was very credible. Let me explain why. Jesus had to have, he could not just be a stranger in the land. He had to have some sort of credibility with these men to garner this type of illogical, horrible business decision. Just to drop everything and go. Understand, these guys, 99% sure they knew who John the Baptist was. They knew what his message was. Maybe they'd even gone out into the wilderness to be baptized by him. It's important to see that they have made the connection. And they knew about this incredible baptism scene of Jesus, where he goes in and he's, John's arguing with him, no, 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 I shouldn't baptize you. You should be baptizing me. No, let it happen because it fulfill all righteousness. And then he's baptized and the clouds part and the voice says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit and all. It's a very public thing. We talked about that last week. 
So Jesus has this very public connection to the most well-known rabbi in the region who's preaching in the wilderness not too far from here, John the Baptist. Very public connection. And it's confirmation of this message that John was talking about. The kingdom of God. It's now. And Jesus has been living and preaching among them along with John. He wasn't an unknown, strange commodity in the city. So the call was credible. There was some familiarity. There was some understanding. But then also the call was costly. You had to have some sort of credibility with these guys. Because following Jesus was not going to be free. It was going to come with a heavy price. <clears throat> there was no 401k or promise of a comfortable retirement. Not only that, this happens, get this now, this happens on the heels of a very public arrest of John the Baptist. So there is both financial and political ramifications from associating with this message of Jesus and John. Add to that the burden of leaving their family and their friends and their employees to follow Jesus for who knows how long, for God knows what, and the price, you can see, begins to add up pretty quickly. Yet because of the credibility of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, they quickly do the math. Worth it. Wow. Can I get back to you in a week? <laughs> no, they left immediately. They did the math in their head and they said, worth it. I'm going. The call of Jesus inspires these men to abandon all their earthly plans and embrace life with eternity in mind. But the call was also quite uncomfortable. They were being called to leave behind what they were good at. To learn a whole new skill set. They were called to fill a special office, to be apostles, founding builders of the kingdom of God on earth. How are fishermen supposed to do that? They don't know the Old Testament. They don't know anything about this new kingdom. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you. Jesus promises that if you follow me, I'll make you into what you need to be for the kingdom. They are great at fishing, but they don't know how to fish for men. That's something they're going to have to know and learn along the way. That's not a very assuring call, is it? They are called to kingdom work that they aren't sure how to do. <laughs> this is a byproduct of the gift of faith. Yet after all this, they still go immediately, without hesitation, and their lives will never be comfortable ever again. At that moment, Jesus begins to teach them, transform them right then and right there. The moment they heard his voice say, come with me, I'll make you fishers of men. Their response to this credible, costly, uncomfortable call is yet another display of what? The authority of Jesus. That's the only explanation, right? He must have some sort of authority over their hearts and minds for them to leave this stuff immediately. 
Now let's look at the personal. What about us? What are we supposed to do and why and how do we do it? I want to talk about dropping your nets. <clears throat> yeah, it doesn't sound good, does it? <laughs> I know where you're going, Pastor Dylan. You think you know. You don't know. This was my uh, social media campaign, a little sermon preview I do. Most Christians passionately claim citizenship in God's kingdom while seeking to fulfill as few kingdom responsibilities as possible. Mm. If I had a mic, I would just drop it right now. (laughs) Understand, we're not talking about salvation. We're talking about daily life in the kingdom of God. What is the balance between living in this world and living in God's kingdom? What should kingdom life look like? What should it feel like? What are the responsibilities of this calling? That's what we're talking about. And let's be real. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's a difficult choice. Matter of fact, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters for either they will hate the one and love the other or he, will, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I mean, man, it's a tough choice. I mean, some of the things in this world are good things. But can good things be anti-kingdom? What we want is to have our kingdom cake and eat it too. Let's be honest. Time after time, Jesus warns against half-hearted citizenship in the kingdom of God. But it's tough, right? When you love the world and you pit that against your love for your Savior who died so that we might live in this kingdom, it's not an easy choice to make. And we've gotten really good at not making it. But by not making it, you're making it. Because you're doing the math in your head and you're saying, not worth it. So it's a difficult choice. It's a costly one, too. It's a very costly choice. Another verse from Matthew. And a scribe came up to Jesus and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Well, that sounds good. But then Jesus says, do you understand what that means, right? Foxes have holes and birds have the air. Birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. I don't know why they got cut off, but has nowhere to lay his head. See, being a part of the kingdom of God is not intended to be a comfortable citizenship. It's a costly one. Listen carefully to me. The message of the kingdom of God isn't, you can serve me with all the earthly blessings in this kingdom. The message of the kingdom of God is not, God loves you and has a wonderful, perfect plan for your life. That's a lie. It's a a disgusting lie. And time after time, Jesus teaches us this concept. The story of the rich young ruler Gain the whole world, yet lose your soul. On and on, he gives these stories of people who try to be successful at both. Let me just tell you, if what you consider in your life right now today, kingdom service, doesn't come with a price tag, and I'm not just talking about money, that's part of it. If it doesn't come with a price tag, you probably haven't dropped your nets. And not only is it a difficult choice, 
and a costly choice. Unfortunately for us, it's a daily choice. He says in Luke, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross once a month. (laughs) One time in a very emotional church service. No, he says daily, even on Thursday when the week is boring or the day after you get horribly tragic news. Not just the day after you win a lottery or get a great job. The choice of spiritual loyalty is a constant struggle. You think these men only had to decide one time to stick with Jesus? Like just one, oh, they dropped the nets, no problems anymore. You think that's the case? This guy Peter denied Jesus three times. After Jesus was gone, Peter and the guys are distraught over Jesus' death. What do we do now? We followed this guy for three years and what? Nothing. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. And the other three guys say, yeah, you know what? We're going with you too. We're going to pick up our nets. And then while they're out there fishing, Jesus is from the lake, from the shore. And he says, have you caught anything? No, we've been out here all night. He says, throw them on the other side of the boat. And the nets are full and they bring them in. Remember that? Jesus is reminding him, these nets aren't where you're going to get your satisfaction. So they struggled with this same thing. Look, they walked and talked with Jesus and they struggled. Well, of course we're going to struggle every day. The choice between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world is not a one-time magical, emotional, religious experience. It's a constant gut-wrenching process. It's a daily battle. And if you don't like that, look, maybe you're just not cut out for it. I can tell you this. You won't be up for the daily battle to follow Jesus unless you've been given the gift of faith. All right. What are your nets? (laughs) Of course, I'm using nets as a metaphor for whatever it is that keeps you from being kingdom agents, from being fishers of men. The calling Jesus had for Peter and the guys to be fishers of men is the exact same way he is calling us today. He is calling us to be willing to drop our nets And be a part of the kingdom of God. Part of fishing for men. What nets are you holding on to too tightly this morning? What are your obstacles to daily surrender to Jesus? Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a job. It could be some sort of addiction or sinful habit. It could be a political ideology. It could be earthly success. It could be your reputation. It could be your retirement plans. Any day, listen to me, any day that any one of those things become more important than the kingdom of God, it's a lost day of service to Jesus. I found this quote this morning 
from a guy named Timothy Dalrymple. He says, serving God is not about impressing the crowd or crafting a brand or building an empire. The work of God is not about fireworks of human talent. It's about faithfulness to a divine call. It's not about showmanship, but showing up every day determined to follow Jesus. We, if we consider ourselves citizens of the kingdom of God, we must be willing to hear the call, follow me, every day. We need to be willing to ask our Savior every morning, Jesus, what nets am I supposed to drop today to serve the kingdom of God? Jesus, please, please, I don't know myself well enough. I know that I can deceive myself. I know that I can trick and show me the nets that I am holding on to too tightly today. The nets that I am choosing over following you. Please let me know. And you know what? What happens if you fail one day? 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what it sounds a lot like? It sounds like the message of John and Jesus, repent and prepare for the kingdom of heaven is now. Isn't that interesting? So, don't be mad at me, but I hope you're feeling as crappy as I was all week writing this thing. <laughs> It's a tough one. It's very uncomfortable listening. You know, one of the things we do at Grace Life is we like to brag about the fact, oh, we don't have to spend all this money on a building and staff. We have, you know, a lot of extra money to do other things. But we don't have a lot of extra money. We think about the fact that we're mobile and we're organic and we're biblical and generous, but it occurred to me this week as your pastor, even our little church, we got some nets we're holding on to really tight. And every day we got to ask our Jesus, show us the nets we got to let go of because we want to follow you every day. Dad, I don't, I don't like this message. But I do like it. <laughs> I'm thankful that you are giving us a challenge to this gospel of Mark about the authority of your son Jesus and our calling to be a part of this kingdom of God. Over the next few weeks, help us to learn what it means to follow you daily, reveal to us the nets that we are holding on to too tightly because we don't want to miss a day.